Good evening, everyone. It is October 31st, so great. Happy Reformation Day, y'all. That's what you guys are all. It's also Halloween, so happy Halloween. Also, quick shout out. It's Eddie Toppensee's birthday tonight, so happy birthday to Eddie as well. Um, so there's reason to celebrate all over the place, right? Halloween's always fun. Eddie's birthday is a great treat. And Reformation Day. I mean, it doesn't get better. So we're gonna have um, we're gonna have fun tonight. Let me get my face ID working. All right, we're cool. Okay, cool, 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 cool. All right. So, um, for, by the way, I, I said that, and most of you seemed to at least nod your head, like, "Yeah, Reformation Day, whatever that is." Um, but for those of you who don't know, Reformation Day is. Don't worry, we're gonna get into that a little bit in this message tonight. Um, but before I even get there, uh, I just would love to pray with you guys. That, uh, that as we open up the scriptures, that we would discover the incredible love of our God and we'd hear his voice. Father, I, I, I come to you with my brothers and sisters tonight, um, knowing that there are some of us in here who are um, riding a, a, just a wave of like a spiritual high, like we are on the mountaintop with you and intimacy feels um, so near so close, and there's others of us that that is the exact opposite of our experience. And Lord, I just know what your heart is for your kids, that is that we would know you, discover more about you, glorify you, enjoy you, delight in you. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word that we would hear your voice. Yeah, I wanna hear your voice. We wanna hear your voice. Help us to do that, Lord. You're good. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, tonight I am going to be doing something I typically try to avoid, which is mixing metaphors. Um, so I have two different metaphors that I'm going to bring to you guys, uh, but hopefully that actually those two metaphors kind of come together with a great degree, degree of clarity rather than the exact opposite of that. So we'll see how it goes and see what happens. So the first was one that Renault was sharing last week when he was up here. So last week when Renault was up here, he was sharing his story, kind of what God has been doing in him and through him over this sabbatical season of about five months that he had went on. Um, And when he was going through that, he talked about a particular passage that really stuck out to me. And it was the passage from Jeremiah 18. It's the concept of a potter and a vessel that he is crafting. Hence that up there. So I'm going to go ahead and open up to Jeremiah 18 really quick. And what I'm going to do is I want to read you this first metaphor. So this is a metaphor that God is giving to Jeremiah, who is a prophet for the entire nation of Israel. So here's what it says, Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. So he's giving him this this metaphor, this example of what God can and does do. He reforms things. Now, that's a pretty beautiful illustration, right? I mean, I am definitely not an artisan in any version of the word, especially when it comes to anything with clay. But I remember in high school when I was in whatever ceramics, I think, whatever class that was when I did that thing, I, I figured out a little bit of that and I was terrible at it. I was not like God at this artist, at, at this being this artisan. But I remember as I was doing it, 
the intentionality and care that it clearly you had to have. And I didn't have that. So therefore, I think I ended up making a penguin out of my stuff. Um, and it was um, this experience where when you're watching, though, somebody who really knows the craft, you see their care, the intentionality that they're putting into it. It's beautiful. Now, it's not so beautiful if you're the clay. And that's what Renault is kind of sharing, right? Is that he has felt in this really difficult season that he has been in, like all of a sudden God kind of goes splat and then begins to reform the clay. And I don't know if when he was sharing that last week, if you were here, if that resonated with you, but there's definitely been seasons in my life when that's been my experience. And maybe you can resonate with that as well. A season where it's like, God, you are doing something and it hurts. It's not easy, but it's good. We'll come back to that metaphor, but there's another story I wanted to share with you tonight. And I think that through these two stories, my hope is that there's a lesson that I believe God has for you and for me tonight. So once upon a time, there was a house. Now the house was put together by a master craftsman. The, the home he built, it wasn't very large. In fact, it was quite small. It was more like um, a one-bedroom like studio. Uh, so there was a bed, there was a kitchenette, and there was a small bathroom area. Um, but even though it was very small in size and scope, its care and intentionality was second to none. It was a beautiful, beautiful building. The building had actually just begun. That wasn't the entirety of the building. In fact, that one-bedroom studio room was actually meant to be a livable model to be replicated as the home gets expanded to becoming a mansion. However, moments after the final tile was laid in the kitchenette, the craftsman leaves and leaves behind this beautiful home in the care of his apprentices, those he had trained up to do and copy what he had been doing. Now, his apprentices were given both the example of the home to actually be able to go around and inspect and go, oh, that's how the crown molding's done. And then they could copy that. But they were also given this booklet. And in the booklet was like the architectural philosophy of this master craftsman to ensure that everything that was built into the future would have consistency and excellence. However, the apprentices, they're not the master craftsmen. So regardless of their efforts, they would always remain inconsistent. Sometimes they would build with the same precision as their master, and other times it would, um, they would go and take to cut corners. They would take pieces of cardboard and use them to build expansion rooms on the cheap, decorate them so that they would look beautiful, but they were a facade. Now, sometimes, though, they got the style all wrong, the aesthetic all wrong. It was shoddy craftsmanship, and it was unclear if they had ever even met the craftsman and if they had even looked at his plans. See, the craftsmen, apprentices were indeed inconsistent. Room by room, they continued to add on to this house for decades, eventually passing on the care of the building to the next generation of apprentices and the next generation and on and on and on. Now, every few generations, there came a hurricane and it would blow down um, entire rooms. It would soak all that cardboard into mush and it exposed the fact that it was facades the entire time. And every few generations as well, there was a waking up moment when all of a sudden the shoddy craftsmanship had been, that had been passable for years, for decades, was all of a sudden pointed out how inconsistent it was with what was going on in the center room in the middle of this inconsistent mansion. Now, when this waking up moment arrives and the realization of inconsistency and facade is pointed out, how do we respond? 
how would you respond? What do you do? Well, you can attempt to tear it all down. That's one option. You take a sledgehammer and you start going brick by brick, tile by tile into a space of demolition. Um, you like are straight up like Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? Like you're just going and breaking down walls, tearing up each room, moving ever closer with the sledgehammer to the heart of the mansion until not even the craftsman's room is left intact. See, that metaphor is one that's really resonated with me as I was, really, as I was preparing this message because as we look back on the history of the church, this has often been a temptation because we as humans are broken in our sinfulness and forgetful of God's goodness. There's always been a constant tension between the life, the teachings, and the ethics of Jesus and the life, the teaching, the ethics of those of us who follow him. We're inconsistent at best. Sometimes it's those who claim to follow him. Sometimes it's those who did it with good intentions, but still they were incomplete. They were inconsistent. So what happens when we fallible, imperfect, broken image bearers of the master craftsman are called to represent, to embody, to display the infallible master craftsman to the world around us? That's tension, right? And this is the tension that you and I live with every single day. Like, I don't know about you, but on, on my like middle days to my worst days, I don't want people watching me and go, oh, that's just Jesus right there. Like, I'm like, no. In fact, yesterday I, I was a complete jerk to Asher and I apologized to him after. And, and I said, when daddy is mad, that does not reflect God. That is not the kind of daddy God is. When daddy is kind and loving and patient, that's the kind of daddy that God is. But like, I have to explain it to him because I need that reminder because I'm so imperfect. We're so imperfect. Now, there's a word, a phrase that, a term that's been coined for this. It's the idea of taking the sledgehammer to each individual room. Um, and the phrase that's typically thrown around is the idea of deconstructed faith. And maybe you or somebody you know has used that phrase to describe their journey or their experience. Now, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to broad brush this um, too much other than to say that this is a reality that we can be tempted towards. But what I wanted to share is my personal experience in this space. You see, because there is this beauty and then this importance of going on a journey of faith that is well-examined, authentic, real, and raw. And I realized that while each of us have different experiences, we all are oftentimes asking the same questions. Now, for me, my journey went something like this. When I was 18 years old, I had been raised in the church since I was born. But I had seen the brokenness of my childhood church. I'd seen the ways that they gossiped and backbit one another. I'd seen the, the ways that they would have a potluck together, but the ways that they would not, they would share a meal together, but they wouldn't actually do life together. I had seen um, the politicization of everything in my childhood home. And I saw the facades of some of Christian culture. And I began to ask many of the same deconstruction questions that are often asked by others. The central question though is, why do I believe what I believe? I remember I, I went down this like super long trail of researching everything, trying to discover everything, trying to learn everything. And I remember literally crying out to God at night, wondering if he was even there. 
if he actually loved at all? And if he did love, then how could he possibly let such broken people represent him? And see, I began to take that sledgehammer to each of those rooms, breaking them down room by room. And I was getting really close to that center room until I had the sledgehammer in my hand about to go at the gospel. See, I sensed though at that moment that my motivation was rooted more in trying to prove everyone wrong, trying to undo everything that I was taught, trying to deconstruct for the sake of demolition, not for the pursuit of truth. So as I tossed and turned at night with my sledgehammer held high, another question came to my mind though. Is there a better way? Is there a better way? And that's the question we're gonna talk about tonight. Is there a better way? See, 504 years ago today, a priest named Martin Luther stood on the door, at the doorstep of the church that he pastored in Wittenberg, Germany, and pointed out and wrote down 95 concerns that he had discovered as inconsistencies between the teachings of the scriptures and the teachings of the Catholic church that he had belonged to at that time. And these were 95 facade walls and shoddy building projects that had accumulated, rarely ever being questioned. Now that story you might remember from world history in like seventh, eighth grade, maybe somewhere around there. But the part of the story that I think is most beautiful that, we sh- that I would hope that we would learn from is this part. See, that, what he did on that day was a result of what God had already been doing inside of him. See, the result, this was a result of a personal journey in the spiritual life of Luther. Because what had happened was he began to study two books in particular, the Bible, the Psalms and the book of Romans. And as he studied both of these, he discovered the character of God. He got to hear God's voice from God himself through the scriptures. He discovered the beauty of the room at the center, the gospel. And that in in the gospel, in Christ alone, that's where his faith is meant to be. Not in the things he could purchase, not in the amount of prayers he could pray to earn anything from God. And he wanted into that room. See, Luther was the clay on the potter's wheel and the potter was reforming him so that through the ministry of Luther, the community of God would literally one day be reformed, would be transformed into what God had all along meant for it to become more and more and more. Now, God began by doing a mighty work in his heart, reforming him, reshaping him, making him new. And what Luther experienced wasn't simply deconstruction for the sake of just trying to destroy everything that he was raised with, but it was reformation for the sake of truth. And there's a big difference between those two realities. The work of reformation is not to tear the building down, but it's to expose all that is facade, all that has been brokenly crafted to return back to the foundation Now, when the Protestant Reformation was launched, it wasn't out of a desire to destroy the Catholic Church. Martin Luther was not claiming that God wasn't moving in any way through the Catholic Church at that time. He wasn't. What he wanted to see was the church he loved grow in faithfulness back to the word of God. And the Catholic Church does, is, I am not in any way saying that they are uniquely um, mistaken at times. All of us, all of us humans can do exactly that. 
because we can all try to add things on to what the scriptures say. And what God was doing in the life of Martin Luther was saying, we need to pull that back. We need to tear down all the facade and look at what the craftsman did at the center and build out from that point. See, our temptation as humans is to simply evaluate a system of beliefs based on what a generation or what multiple generations of followers have done with that belief or kind of altered it and changed it. But the heart of reforming is to evaluate based on what is at the center, at the core of that belief. And for Christianity, it is the authority of the scriptures and specifically the centrality of the gospel. Now, this reminds me of a passage that was often used in the early days of the Protestant Reformation that came from Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians. You might remember when we were there not too, too long ago. But I wanted to share this passage with you because I think it is so, so good and helpful. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. I'll read that one again because I want you to understand that. You were a stranger. You were an alien. You were distant from God. So you were strangers and aliens, but you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Guys, isn't that incredible news that we were alienated, we were outsiders, and now we've been brought into the family your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, now you kind of know where my metaphor was kind of based on a little bit, right? Okay, cool. Um, see, we stand in a long line of tradition in the history of the church, both beauty and brokenness. It's what comes with humanity. But at its best, at its core, we have Christ as the cornerstone. See, you guys might remember when we were in Ephesians and we were talking about this, but the idea of a cornerstone originally was that you would put a cornerstone, not just to be something symbolic as we do kind of in building projects today, but you put a cornerstone that would literally give direction and guidance for the rest of the foundation that would be built. So you'd put down that foundational brick and then you'd go, okay, side, 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 up, 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 up. And then you would build out from that point to make sure there is consistency. And that's Christ. That's Christ. Now, the rest of the foundation, he calls, he says, is the apostles and the entirety of the early church. He said it is by the apostles and the prophets, those who wrote and authored the majority of the Old Testament as well. It is on the authority of the scriptures, in other words, that we have the foundation of our faith. The scriptures. And then we start building. We build up. And what, we, what, what is being used to be built up, this spiritual house, is us. We get to be the materials that the craftsman is using. We're not just the apprentices. We are the ones that God is using to build us up. So we're not strangers and aliens anymore. We're a part of this project, quite literally. The only problem, though, is we aren't perfect. That while we, made, while we may be made saints through the blood of Jesus, that that is now our heritage, that is our birthright, that we have been called saints in the family of God. 
our every action and our every intention is not usually consistently saint-like, right? Sometimes we are deceived. Sometimes we are selfish. Sometimes we want the glory. Sometimes we are prideful. Sometimes we're just apathetic and we just want to slouch off in a chair. But at the root of so much of this is our deep desire to define good and bad on our own terms. We want to do things our way. It's the reality of humanity. So we can look at the actions and legalism that exist within the church at any period of time and use that as cause to redefine good and bad on our own terms, paying more attention to whatever the flavor of the age is, whether it's whatever feels authentic to us, that we would discover Instead, what God calls good and bad within the scriptures. So we have to step out of our temptation towards defining it our way and remember that there can be a better way. This is why the title of the message tonight is Always Reforming. Because uh, there was an early reformer who wrote a phrase in Latin, and I'm not going to try to I'm not going to try to recite that in Latin, but I'll give you the translation, okay? Here's the phrase. I think it's really good. So if you're a note taker, this is one to write down. The church is reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God. The church is reformed, always in need of being reformed according to the word of God. Now, when we're using the word reformed, we don't mean specifically the reformed tradition. Um, this is, it's, it's grander than that, is the concept that the church is reformed in the sense that it is rooting itself in the scriptures. Now, the church has not and will never do that perfectly. But that's our call, to always be reformed. But also, always be in the process of being reformed according to the word of God. So let's break it down one by one. The church is reformed. At its core, the true church as a collection of believers, you and I together are meant to be rooted in what the craftsmen made in the center room. We're to be rooted by in, it, in the example of Jesus, being rooted in the writings of the craftsmen, in the gospels, in the scriptures. But not only that, we also are always in need of being reformed. And what that means is this is the journey of sanctification, the journey of becoming more like Jesus. We all need to constantly be reformed. We are the vessel on the potter's wheel, right? That is being shaped, that is being molded. So often though, we want the, we want the potter to take us off the, off the wheel and just kind of put us off to the side so that we can kind of just chill by ourselves. We don't want this. We don't want the forming. We don't want the work. So we need to desire to always be in need of being reformed, being ever made closer into the likeness of Jesus, both as individuals and together as a people. So we need to have the humility to not believe that we have no room to grow in intimacy with Jesus. I hope that I never Start thinking that I have had it all figured out, that I have no more need to grow near to Jesus. I hope that I realize that you realize that we need to become more like him. As long as you have another breath, Jesus has more things to teach you. That we need to grow in understanding that there is so much more that we need to know and learn about God and his desires and how he desires for us to live in the midst of this world. 
but it also means that we need to see ourselves both as part of the problem and part of the solution. And I know that's controversial because so easily what we all, if you're anything like me at least, what you want to do is you want to point the finger somewhere else and say, see them, they're the problem. If they would just do it better, then it would be better. Now, it's hard because typically when we're saying that, we probably have a point or a reason behind it, right? But how often are we going them over there and putting ourselves on that side where we'd actually see like, I'm a part of this thing called the church. I am a part of what's being built up together. See, we need to realize that there is so much opportunity. See, this, this is like the experience of Martin Luther who experiences personal reformation in his life into the truth and purity and beauty of the gospel. And what he was able to do is not just to point a finger and say, you guys need to get your act figured out. What he said was, I want to be a part of this solution. I see that I was a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. I want to see the church grow in faithfulness to the word of God. I want to see the church grow to preach the purity and the truthfulness of the gospel. And we need to learn that lesson, especially in this day, in this age. See, the potter is constantly forming and reforming us, both as individuals and as a collective. So it's not so easy, though, when we're the clay, right? When that's us, we're like, God, you need to reform them over there. Like over in that camp, those, those people are crazy over there, right? But we, we're not looking at what is God trying to do to us today. What lesson do I need to learn today? Where is my heart today? What, where am I lacking zeal today? Where, where is my love percentage going draining down today? And see, I have felt this so much over the last 18 months because honestly, over the last 18 months, I truly believe that I have been in one of these reforming seasons as well. God has been teaching me so much. And I, and I wish I could say that it's been like, you know, one of those, you're at a, a nice retreat center on a, on a swing by a tree. And there's like nice cup of unsweetened iced tea because I'm not from the South. And, uh, and like, it's like just so peaceful and easy. And I'm like, oh, that's the Bible too. That's good. That's good. I'll, I'll start doing that from here on out. But that's not been my experience. It's God pounding the clay, reforming the clay, pounding the clay, reforming the clay, pounding the clay, reforming the clay, because he is doing something. And I want to just get out of my own way of what he is trying to do in me. See, he has been teaching me so many lessons. I was trying to think of just a few so I could just share with you what he started to teach me, but he's been teaching me about the heart of a true shepherd. He's been teaching me to pursue unity for his church. He's been teaching me to refuse to believe that the church is to live deformed and polarized. He's been teaching me what it looks like to love my family in the midst of hectic seasons and chaotic realities. I don't say any of those like I'm learning them perfectly or that I'm living them out perfectly, but because it's not my work, it's his work. He is the potter, I am the clay. And I'm gonna go ahead and say for you, you're also not the potter in your story. You're the clay. And what he wants to do is he wants to build us up. He wants to transform us. He wants to reform us. I was thinking about that word earlier today, reform, especially in context against the word deform. 
So when you form something, you make something, right? Now, when you reform it, the word, when you do a prefix of re on top of any word, it is to again do something, right? So to reform is to once again form something. To deform though, now that's where we live on planet death. Our tendency is towards the destruction mode of the deformation. We deform things. We break things up. But God is in the, in the business of reforming things. At my best, I am not in the ability of reforming things. Not lasting, not fully, but God is. And I was thinking about how important that is that we would have this mentality and have that understanding that of course, when the world is trying to break down everything, that's because that's the best that we ever can accomplish is to break things down. But it is God who reforms things. He builds things up and then sees them over and over and over again, transformed into his image, his likeness. That's his desire in my heart, in your heart. But you see, it's so important that we realize this. And the reason I'm hammering down on this idea that it is him, he is the potter, we are the clay, is because otherwise what we are tempted to do is do things according to our wisdom and not his, which is the last part of this phrase, right? So the church is always is, is reformed, always being reformed according to the word of God. See, this is the most important distinction between deconstruction for the sake of itself and reformation for the sake of truth. See, within the scriptures, we discover objective, absolute truth. We discover how God defines good and bad. We discover the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We discover hope. We discover the kingdom of God. Like, that's what we find in these pages. We find the word of life. I'm not nearly as impressed by that as I should be. I'm imagining you are in the same space, right? Like, in this, we have the word of life. And it's according to that word that we are called to always be reforming. So never stop reforming, always be reforming. But as we are reforming, it's absolutely vital that we realize that it is always to come back to the word of God, always back to the center room. Otherwise, what we risk is deforming into what is subjective to us rather than objective to God. See, we deform when we try to do the formation on our own terms. We take charge of the formation and instead of trusting the hands of our potter, who happens to also be a really good dad. Now for some of us, for some of us, maybe what you question is the scriptures themselves. You're like, I actually just don't believe any of that about the Bible. And if that's you, I want you to know first and foremost, it's totally safe for you to say in this community. If that's you and you're wrestling with the authority of scripture and you don't know how to even like process what's in there, you're like, I disagree with so much it's in there. I don't know how I'd possibly say that I was like, follow what it says. I get it. And just so you know, there's a lot of people here who would love to grab coffee with you and have that conversation and just hear your concerns and do some research with you. I'm one of them. So with that in mind though, why does reforming matter? Because we are a forgetful people, hence the need for the prefix re. If all we needed was God to form us, then we come to know him. And all of a sudden we're like, like the angels are shouting behind us. And we're like, oh my gosh, the gospel's so beautiful. And you, like, you know that season, maybe you had that season like I did, where it was like, you're like, I'm never coming down from this mountaintop experience with God. Like it was so good. But then we forget. <laughs> so we need to be reformed. And continue to be reformed up until eternity. 
Because we are forgetful, we forget what God has done. We forget to love. Isn't that crazy? We forget to love. And when we begin to forget, we begin to deform. Now, I read this passage a few weeks ago from Revelation 2. It's, the, it's a letter from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. And here's what he writes. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Now, so far, what he has said is essentially, I've seen you. You're doing, like your, your truth game is on top. Like you're doing awesome on that. Like you're calling out what is good and godly and what is broken and needs to be discarded. But this I have against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Remember, be reformed. Do you see there's good but there's also brokenness that needs to be repaired. You need to be reformed by that potter. I need to be reformed by that potter. We need to constantly be reformed by the potter. If, if the church would just wake up to that, and if all of the church around the globe realized the need to just go like this to the spirit of God, I would imagine we'd be in a much better place. We were like, God, I don't know what you wanna do, but would you do it in me? If all of us said that, guys, be incredible. Because God's desire is for us to fall deeper in love with the master craftsman, the builder of the center room, the pursuer of your heart and mine. See, we need to always be reforming because we are naturally forgetful. We are naturally always prone to wander. We need to intentionally, continually, day by day, return back to him. Otherwise, we begin putting facade walls up and we embark on building projects that are destined to fail. And you see, this journey of reformation is actually, another word for it is the journey of discipleship. It's as we are being discipled that we are being reformed. It's as we are learning about God and his character and his loves and what he desires for us that we are being reformed. This is why at, at Mosaic, the three things that we talk about is, is vital aspects of discipleship are learning Christian belief, biblical story, and Christian practice. Those three things, those shouldn't strike anybody as revolutionary, right? Like learn the Bible, believe what it teaches, and live out what it teaches. Like that is our entire like structure for disciple. Like that's the things that we want to form people into. Why? because we need to be reformed constantly into those things. We don't outgrow those things. There's other stuff for sure that's awesome. But those three things are so foundational, so fundamental. Kind of like a, uh, a coach that's getting interviewed at halftime, uh, that's a coach of the losing team of a, uh, in a game. And they get interviewed and they're like, coach, what do you need to do for your team to step it up in the next half? And they'll say something like, we just need to focus on the fundamentals. Just need to go back to the basics. They need to be reformed. They need to come back to what is foundational and constantly go back into that space. Now, none of this is because we want a church of people who just know more, but because as we grow as deep disciples of Jesus, we are being reformed. As we learn about God's character, we are being reformed. As we learn God's story, we are being reformed. As we discover and live in the way of Jesus, through things like spiritual rhythms, Engaging in the scriptures, prayer, fasting, serving, living generously amongst one another. 
We are being reformed. Now, discipleship is not just about knowing the right answers, but it's about becoming more and more of who God has created you to become all along. So what's the end goal of all this? Well, first, it starts at the point that we realize it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about what God is doing through all of us. The last passage I wanted to share with you guys tonight comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. What I want you to see is how corporate this is, how together this is. And we all, we all, all of us, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Well, how can we possibly behold the glory of the Lord? Well, that's because we have known Jesus. And through the gospel, we have the opportunity now behold the glory of the Lord. Before Jesus, no ability for humanity to behold the glory of the Lord. But now we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So in other words, as we now, because of the gospel, we now have unveiled faces to see the glory of God. We can see Jesus. And as we see Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image of the one that we are seeing. We can see Jesus and be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. This is what God is doing. And this is the goal of reformation. It's not to make you just a better person. It's not just to make you feel better. It's not just to make you so that you would somehow display how perfect you are as a Christian. It is so that through all of this, you would become more and more like Jesus. And in doing so, you delight in him more. And that's good. You glorify him more. And that's good too. But this all starts when we see ourselves as simply a vessel that God is shaping and forming and reforming us into. See, we have to believe and truly believe. And this would be my, this is what I've been praying for you guys this week, that you would truly believe that he is the one that does the work that he is the one doing the work in us, through us, for us. He is shaping our beliefs. He is the one who desires to shape our worldview. He is the one that desires to shape, desires to shape our hopes. He is shaping even our understanding of what are our rights. He is shaping our affections, our loves. He is shaping our character. He is shaping our future. He is shaping our present. He is shaping. He, potter, we clay. That's super tweetable. <laughs> All we are called to do is simply surrender to his reformation power that is work in us, through us, for us. And that's hard. To do this constantly is hard. But that's all we are called to do. It's simple, but it's hard. We surrender. We say, Spirit of God, move. Do what only you can do in me. See, to be formed into the image of the master craftsman so that you, as you begin building new rooms, as you raise up new apprentices of the craftsman in discipleship, as you discover the beauty of the scriptures in his writing, you are doing a lot less inconsistently day by day. In other words, as you are doing these things, as you are engaging in the journey of reformation, it's not that tomorrow you're perfect. It's that tomorrow you might look a little bit more like Jesus a little bit less like you. And that's the goal. That's, what, that's the goal of all of this. Because I know the frustrations that we can have in this life. I have a lot of them. 
especially towards those who are, seem pretty bad at representing Jesus. But as I continue my journey of being reformed, I have discovered more and more the sobering reality that I am one of those Christians. Yet bit by bit, day by day, I am imperfectly learning to follow his writings, to follow his example. What's so cool about my story, um, what happened when I was 18, is that after countless sleepless nights filled with research and frustration and tears, I dropped my sledgehammer. I came to the center room, the gospel, and I, like Martin Luther before me and many others, I liked what I saw because what I saw was Jesus. And I wanted in with him. And what I realized though, was that this journey that I thought I was on, it was the journey he was taking me on the entire time. He was the one that was pursuing me. I thought I was pursuing him. It was the other way the entire time. He was pursuing my heart. He was standing at the door of my heart knocking, not the other way around. And he began a work in me. And see, it was by God's grace that I discovered the beauty of the gospel, realizing it was his journey. But this was only the beginning of my reformation journey. I wish I could say that I was formed and never needed to be reformed. But instead, as I hear his voice, though, day after day in the scriptures, I'm challenged to grow, to reconsider the things that I was either taught or naturally believe, to engage deeper with Jesus, to learn from other godly men and women who have come before me and who serve alongside me even today so that I would discover his reformation power. So tonight, as we mark 504 years of the Reformation, that we would honor that heritage, that legacy, by going on that journey continually with Jesus. That we would honor the efforts of the men and women that came before us by going back to what Jesus is doing to surrender to the work of the craftsmen in us. That's my hope for us. So I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band to come on up. What I was thinking this week about was that, I mean, just imagine, imagine if as each of us did that, if, if as each of us surrendered our lives every day in that way to the work of the spirit of God, what that would do to our break rooms, what that would do to our neighborhoods, what that would do to our roommates, our families, what would they see of God? Hopefully what they would see his people humbly going like this to their potter saying, I am just your vessel. Do with me what you're going to do. I'm in. Now that's hard. That's scary, but it's beautiful. It's captivating. And it's a journey I want to go on. And I would hope and desire and love if all of you as my brothers and sisters that we would go on this journey together. So I'd love to pray over you. And if that's you and you're realizing this and, it, and, and this is hitting home in some way, I would love to pray this prayer over you. Father, I thank you that you are doing good work, that you are the one who is the good potter, that you are the one that sent Jesus to be our master craftsman to learn from. Father, I pray that you would be transforming our hearts tonight that you would use us and demonstrate your love and faithfulness and kindness to us. 
God, apart from you, we, we can do nothing. So Lord, I just ask that tonight for us as your kids that we would just open up our hands to you. That as we look at the heritage and the legacy that we have, that we wouldn't just look at um, the uh, knuckleheads who have come before us or even ourselves as the knuckleheads, but instead we would look to see Jesus. So on our difficult days, on our hard days, would you remind us of Jesus, his love, his mercy, and his glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.